Clearshore presents Technology, Innovation, and Great Power Competition Class 3 by Steve Blank October 26, 2021 at steveblank.com We just had our third week of our new national security class at Stanford, Technology, Innovation, and Great Power Competition. Joe Felter Rawshaw and I designed the class to cover how technology will shape all the elements of national power, our influence and footprint on the world stage. In Class 1, we learned that national power is the combination of a country's diplomacy, soft power and alliances, information, intelligence, its military, economic strength, finance, intelligence, and law enforcement. This whole-of-government approach is known by the acronym DIMEFIL. And after two decades focused on counterterrorism, the U.S. is engaged in great power competition with both China and Russia. In Class 2, we learned how China is using all elements of national power. Diplomacy, soft power, alliances, coercion, information and intelligence, using its economic leverage over Hollywood and controlling the COVID narrative, its military might and economic strength, Belt and Road Initiative, to exploit Western finance and technology. This has resulted in Western democracies prioritizing economic cooperation and trade with China above all else. China's goal is to challenge and overturn the U.S.-led liberal international order and replace it with a neo-totalitarian model. Going forward, coexistence with China will involve competition, but also cooperation but it's going to take the demonstrated resolve of the U.S. and its allies to continue to uphold a rules-based order where nations share a vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific where the sovereignty of all countries is respected. All of which leads to today's topic, the other great power, Russia. There were several required readings, all of which led up to the reading assignment questions, for which the students needed to pick one of the questions and answer in approximately 100 words based on the required readings, and to note that this assignment would be graded and count towards course participation. 1. Compare and contrast the viewpoints of John Mearsheimer and Michael McFall on drivers of Russian foreign policy. Where do they agree? Disagree? Which perspective do you agree with and why? And number two, evaluate the perspectives of Artyom Lukin and Chris Miller on Russia's so-called pivot to Asia. Do you agree with one more than the other? Do you believe that the pivot is a more rhetorical or substantive strategic move on the part of Moscow? And we also had our class discussion questions. One, what are Russia's geopolitical interests, goals, and or objectives? From Moscow's perspective, what are the main obstacles standing in the way of achieving its national goals? Two, to what degree is Vladimir Putin a unitary actor? How much is he the system of government versus the product of a system? Three, how does Moscow view the existing American-led rules-based international order? Four, what role, if any, does ideology play in Moscow's strategy? Five, In what ways are Moscow's goals compatible and or incompatible with U.S. national interests? 6. In what domains does the competition between the United States and the Russian Federation play out? How do these domains interact with one another? Is cooperation between the two possible and beneficial? And 7. 
How would you characterize the Sino-Russian relationship? In what dimensions is the relationship the strongest? Where are its fault lines? Is the relationship enduring or transient? Our guest speaker for our third class was Mike McFall, the former U.S. Ambassador to the Russian Federation and former National Security Council Senior Director for Russia and Eurasia Affairs. Mike wrote about his experience as ambassador in From Cold War to Hot Peace, an American ambassador in Putin's Russia. At Stanford, Mike is the director of the Freeman Spokely Institute of International Studies, Stanford's Research Institute for International Affairs, and the home for this class and the Gordian Knott Center for National Security Innovation. Ambassador McFall pointed out that at times, Russia pursues security and economic interests in parallel to ideological aims. At times, these objectives complement each other. At other times, they clash. He posited it's because Russian policy is run by Putin and his political institutions. We then reviewed highlights from the assigned readings. John Mearsheimer's article took the contrarian position that the United States and its European allies share most of the responsibility for the crisis in the Crimea. We then led a conversation about the end of the Cold War and collapse of the USSR. George Kennan was the author of the 1946 Long Telegram, which set in motion the policy of containment of the Soviet Union. He lived to see its collapse a half-century later and wrote, I find it hard to think of any event more strange and startling, and at first glance more inexplicable than the sudden and total disintegration and disappearance of the great power known successively as the Russian Empire and then the Soviet Union. Stephen Kotkin maintains that if the Soviet elite had so chosen, they could have sustained the Soviet Union decades longer. Perhaps the most enduring quote is from Vladimir Putin himself. Quote, the collapse of the Soviet Union was a major geopolitical disaster of the century, unquote, as he tries to remake Russia into a great power once again. Dmitry Trenin in the Carnegie Center points out that the 2014 Ukrainian crisis was the Rubicon. Russia broke a quarter century of cooperative relations among great powers, pivoting away from the West, starting a new era of intense competition. Mike Mafal has a more nuanced view. Quote, For a complete understanding of Russian foreign policy, individuals, ideas, and institutions, President Vladimir Putin, Putinism, and autocracy, must be added to the analysis. The three cases of recent Russian intervention in Ukraine in 2014, Syria in 2015, and the United States election in 2016 illuminate the casual influence of these domestic deterrents in the making of Russian foreign policy. Unquote. We then looked at Russia's pivot to China. China-Russian relations are now at their highest point since the mid-1950s, being drawn to each other by the most elementary law of international politics, that of the balance of power. Russia has long struggled to overcome the constraints imposed by the country's chronic inability to retain talent in support of homegrown innovation and R&D. We also covered the two regional threats to international security, North Korea and Iran, as well as the continued threats of terrorism from non-nation states, such as Al-Qaeda's and ISIS. North Korea has a robust and expanding nuclear weapons program with 10 to 40 nuclear weapons. Their ballistic missile program not only threatens their neighbors, 
but their development of long-range ICBMs puts the entire continental United States in range of their nuclear weapons. The Islamic Republic of Iran has actively pursued nuclear weapons and long-range ballistic missiles. Under the Iran nuclear deal, Jacopa, they have agreed to limit their uranium to 3.67% enrichment. They broke out of the deal in 2019. Today, their uranium enrichment has reached 60% enrichment, 90% is weapons grade. Iran has been a major source of regional destabilization, hostage-taking, and sponsorship of terrorism. Ansar Allah in Yemen, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas PIJ in Palestine, numerous Shia militias in Iraq, Iran's long-running conflict with Israel is a perennial potential flashpoint for a broader conflict in the region. Iran has been actively using cyber attacks and has attacked and harassed commercial shipping and freedom of navigation operations in the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz. Non-nation states haven't gone away. They are a persistent, survivable threat, unconstrained by traditional geopolitical checks. They are an irrational actor. They are capable of regional and international terror attacks. Some are actively pursuing acquisition of weapons of mass destruction, nuclear, chemical, biological, addressing the problem through counterinsurgency and counterterrorism operations runs the risk of long-term engagements that damage other national objectives and sometimes the national interest. Yet, if left unaddressed, these insurgencies can spread globally and create second- and third-order challenges. We covered the group project. The, cl the class is formed into seven teams. We suggested they get out of the building to first deeply understand the problem they've selected. And we offered a series of questions they may want to ask. Who has this problem? Why does the problem exist? Consequence of the problem? When do they need a solution? How does this get deployed and delivered? How are they solving it today? How do you know you solve the problem? Next, after they validate the problem, what would a minimum viable product look like? Who would build and deliver the final product or service? How do you create an innovation insurgency around the idea? Who would have to get excited about the MVP to fund it? Who are the saboteurs? Next week, we start talking about the impact of commercial technology on great power competition. First up, semiconductors. Lessons learned. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. and the Russian Federation had a two-decade-long cooperative relationship. In 2014, with the Russian-Ukrainian War and Russia's annexation of Crimea, and in 2015, the Russian intervention in the Syrian Civil War, Russia's interests and the West's have radically diverged. Mike McFall makes the case that Putin, Putinism, and the Russian autocracy are key determinants of their foreign policy. This week, student teams will start getting out of the building to build reflexes and skills to deeply understand a problem by gathering first-hand information to validate that the problem they are solving is the real problem, not a symptom of something else. Then, students will begin rapidly building minimum viable solutions as a way to test and validate their understanding of both the problem and what it would take to solve it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. We would like to hear from you, so please send your thoughts to comments at clearshore.us or visit us at clearshore.us.
If you would like this show delivered to you automatically, you can subscribe to the Clear Shore Podcasts on iTunes. Wishing you all the best until next time.